And I'm glad to see so many here today because it's going to have a lot to do with what I have to say today. And yeah, he just mentioned this. I keep I keep hearing this slash uh, title. <laughs> Louisiana and Texas, kind of loud. I was hoping it wouldn't do that. Hey, yeah, you know I do get we do, we get questions off and on. We tell we'll talk to people and they'll say. Uh, you live in Texas, and they might be at the church. And yes, we live in Texas, and they'll say, "You mean you drive all the way over here to Louisiana from Texas?" You know, and it's only 20 minutes. I mean, you know, it's not far. <laughs> uh, our good friends Hank and Mary drive an hour and a half, so we have no room to complain. That's for sure. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's it's not that far. It's not that big a deal. Yes, I am glad to see so many here today because I do want to talk about keys to commitment and this week if we've seen so many have been here this is the sixth day and as Dale said it's going much too fast we'd rather slow it down if we can can I if I talk real slow would that make would that drag it out but I can't do that because I talk slow enough so I I told Lord I was gonna have to pick it up a little bit because I know he, he carries on a little quicker than I do but the commitment that we've seen here this week and of course not just this week I think this is Sherry and I's third year to come here and there is so much commitment to what we see here that that's not really in question what we're going to speak of today uh, on exactly the commitment of the folks here you definitely have the commitment to be here as you go through your your weekly Sabbaths as your all the holy days that we go through each year uh, y'all are all committed to that and I know I want to what I want to look at is some of the, the changing things for family commitment within the church and within our the communities in our country that we'll, we'll touch on first but we are going to look at some keys uh, four of them as we'll end up with this and I hope we we'll all have a, a lot better understanding of those keys when we finish none of us want this feast to end I know because uh, I've heard the talk around it's always here about the fifth or sixth day we always hate to see it coming to an end and uh, that's because we have two opposites going on around us in the world today one uh, one that's happening to us right now is of course is God's family and God's building a family and we see the commitment to it a spiritual family that it's a little foreign to the outside world that live in the world with their daily lives. And the other that's happening uh, that we may not see quite, quite as easy, it's crept up on us over the years. Uh, and an author touched on it. His name was uh, Alvin Toffler, and he, he had a book. And he wrote this book back in 1970. He could have dropped back to 50s if he wanted to even. If it would have been at that time, it would have still fit perfectly. Because he, he entitled the book Future Shock. And it probably sounded strange back then to folks when they read it, uh, what he was really talking about. But he's, he was speaking of a time then that has arrived today for us. Uh, and what he called it and what he labeled it as was a modular relationships that we have. And we do see many modulars small 
used to be compact, small. And what that means is, is we've lost, we're losing, and it has been going on for years now, lost the extended family in our society, in the country around us. We've lost our extended family. And he said it would, it would come through his writings, and it has come through our, our country today. And just the loss of the, you might say, the, the community-minded set of uh, mentally thinking about it, where people are, are looking after one another, you know, as, as uh, the, their extended family, not so much blood relatives, but the families of the communities that they, they live in. Uh, even, he even went so far to call it a, a many relationships that people would have in future years, which we see today. We definitely see many relationships with the people we deal with out in the world. They're small relationships, you might say. It's not like everyone remembers Little House on the Prairie. You know, uh, hey, if it if it happened uh, over there, the the whole the whole bunch was there. If a barn needed to be raised, they they were there. You know, they they were, they just took them in as part of their family. And today we don't see that out there. One one way he uh, identified that was was a uh, he called it almost like the nuclear family, as he put it, which means mom, dad, and the kids maybe just the immediate family against the world. they kind of alone out there now. Not what we see so much in God's family. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more of that, about that in a minute, because we want to talk about the lack of the commitment that we see out there that's uh, out in the world that has, uh, has caused a lot of these things. There's not a lot of things that people are committed to. And are they committed to outreach to people that aren't, you might say, blood relatives as a family and pull them in and work with them? And of course, there's consequences for that. And we, we see it in the world. And, you know, we hope we, we don't see it in the church of God as much as we do out in the world. Not to say there's not a few problems, because there are. And we know there are. And, and there's consequences to that. Uh, for our spiritual families, as well as definitely as well as the world families that they have out there. But just remembering a feast I wanted to bring up that we went to. In fact, the first feast Sherry and I went to, uh, we, were, we had just started in the church. This is 2004. And I know everybody always remembers their first feast. A first feast objective we weren't baptized as of yet, and the way I like to look at it and maybe rationalize that is God was kind of leaning on us a little bit. He soaked in somewhat, you know, and we wanted to go to the feast. So we went to one of the beautiful places we like. But first off, I have a cousin that lives out there, so we wanted to visit. The feast was there for us, but that was in our mind too, of course. So uh, we went there. And it was, of course, like nothing else I had ever seen. I don't know everybody's stories of their first feast, but as we went in, and this is where I pull in the family of God. None, none of these people, we knew not one person there. No one. 900, maybe 1,000 people the first day uh, in Kirby. 
And we went into this Lord's room and it had high doors and they, they opened and it was, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it was just awesome. Here, we're at church with seven people. You know? So anyway, we didn't know what to expect. But it was almost as a whirlwind just swept us up and pulled us into these people we had never met. And through looking through their eyes, there was no doubt that they knew us and that we knew them. And that was because of the spirit that God had. They had commitment. And I've always thought back to that first day we entered those big rooms, that big room with all those people. We're not real used to being in big rooms with a lot of people. Especially people that you don't know. I mean, don't even put me in a picture show down where they shut you up down a little hallway and you watch a screen, you know. Way too close and personal. There was nothing like this. There's no way to explain the first Feast of Tabernacles. For us, anyway. And I know it's, uh, you hear a few stories sometimes that don't quite go that well. But uh, as I said, God was leaning on us and he soaked in a little bit. And... Uh, as soon as we got back, we had to be baptized. That's all there was to it. I mean, you know, God, God had us. That's for sure. And I hope He never lets us go. You know, and He tells us, "Who shall separate us? It'll be us. He won't leave us. We, we will leave Him. If that happens at all, He doesn't leave us as long as we don't leave Him." There was no strangers there that day. Just as this room right here. We've been here at the feast this week. We don't know everybody. And y'all don't know everything. The physical things, but it's the spiritual things that mean so much. You probably know me spiritually, and I know you know me spiritually. The people I know, and even the ones I don't know, they just know I'm here. We're committed. And there's no doubt why you're here. They're not questioning. I wonder what that guy may know. I may look at him. He, he knows what I, I know. And it was the same way in Kirby. You know, it's, these, y'all know me more spiritually than my own family. My own, my own family probably doesn't want to hear any more about spiritually. I think we all, we all have probably dealt with that a little bit down the road. Uh, but anyway, that was such a fulfilling experience for us. It's something we'll surely never never forget but when it comes to continuing our commitment you know God God has uh, has a plan for us and he has the tools and they're there for us he gives us a he gives us a, a, a big tool a big toolbox to use and it's full and this is it this is it it, uh, it doesn't look very large but wow it's not missing anything every time I get in my toolbox something's gone there's nothing missing here we know that it has everything we need and in Revelation chapter 2, I just want to speak of a few things here as John, of course, on the island of, island of Patmos, he was, he was inspired, of course, by God through Jesus Christ, delivered to him by the angel. And he said, this is something that's always stuck with me, as when we walked in that big room in Kerrville, The angel came to him, to John, as a it says as a loud voice, and it says that as of a trumpet, something that would that would get your attention. And I believe we all we all agree, God has gotten our attention. 
And that's what I would like to look at it as, is a loud trumpet that caught my attention. He has ways of getting our attention. In chapter 2, though, we see he spoke to the churches on, on some commitment. And steadfastness is something else to go along with that. And he, he emphasized it to the churches in different ways. Of course, through the writings, you know, of John inspired. Some of it's uplifting, some of it's correcting. But to the Ephesians church, in chapter 3, <clears throat> he says, You have perseve persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not became weary. He's speaking here to us, too, about steadfastness that they, they have and we have. And he's going to show us ways that we can keep that. In verse 4, we see problems with, with their commitment. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Of course, we know our first love. We know the truth in the first love that that loud trumpet brought us into. And, got, and it did get our attention. In verse 5, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Not where we've fallen to, but where we have fallen from if we have left the first love. Have we weakened? And he says, repent and do the first works and return to your first love. Renew your commitment again to steadfastness, commitment to God. And hear again that voice as of a, a, a loud trumpet. Because he, he can get your attention again if we go back to him. And through the church in Smyrna, you see a, rec, a recommendation to them. Verse 10 he says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Of course, that's what we work our, our, ourself to God for and stay with God. We are, we are on a journey. We are in a race for the kingdom, eternal life, to be ready when he comes. Something very important he said that I'd like to talk about faith is he said to the church of Pergamos, verse 13, a commendation. He said, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. My faith, have you ever read that really slow? Christ said, my faith. He didn't say, he wasn't talking about a faith. He was very specific. He said, my faith, my faith. But when we talk about steadfastness, we're probably, a good meaning for steadfastness is, you know, doing things we have to do with the same zeal as the things we like to do. You need to always keep that in mind because it's really a central part of our Christian character and our walk with God. And as we read First uh, Corinthians, I'd like to look at First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Paul, we're going to talk about Paul a little bit this afternoon. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is this afternoon, yes. And I want to cover some things he says because he has so much to say. As Art mentioned earlier, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. And he gives us so many words of encouragement. He does it so many times. And in verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. And steadfast. He really, he really stood on that. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So stay committed, he's telling us. And as he moves on, Galatians 6 and verse 9, we find him speaking there to the Galatians. 
And he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we stay committed. God doesn't call us. He doesn't call us to fail. He calls us to succeed. And he's there for us, and he has all the tools for us. All we have to do is use them. We have to use them. He's allowed to sin, and, and we surely always want to be, be there and not be separated from him ever again. He has all the keys for us. Paul has some wonderful writings. Uh, there's so many of them, you, I don't, you can't cover all of them. But in 1 Corinthians, there's just a part of 1 Corinthians I want to talk. He's talking about steadfastness and stand fast. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, Watch, stand fast. And another very important part of Scripture here that goes along with Christ when he said, My faith, he says, The faith, in the faith, be brave and strong. Some people may interpret steadfast to mean more than, of course, more than one thing. We never want to interpret it as standing in a place, as some of the uh, meanings portray as you read them. But persevere to be steadfast, because we know we, we have to persevere. Not standing still, our walk with God will never allow us to stand still with him. We will always have to persevere. And in Galatians 5 and verse 1, he says again, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not entangle, be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And made us free from what? He's made us free from the world, from the worldly traditions out there. I speak sometimes to people in just conversation, and I'll ask, I'll ask that question sometime. If, you know, if an opportunity comes up and they, want, they would like to discuss things, ask them what traditions they're staying away from when uh, they're following God. And, of course, everyone readily agrees. You know, the Scriptures tell us, do not follow man's traditions. If you just want to have a... Uh, see what you can... Uh, come up with that I surely couldn't ever come up with. I couldn't come up with any answers. <laughs> they would look at me like, uh, I tried it on my family first. That's why I said they, they probably don't want to hear anymore, you know. Because <laughs> I didn't get any answers either, you know. But, uh, and we understand why, because they do live those traditions. And, you know, uh, it's pretty hard to separate things when you're in the world from being out of the world from the outside looking in. Then you can see those things, but when you're in there, Satan has a pretty good hold on you. You can't hardly get away from him. Paul and Timothy uh, are speaking here at, uh, in Philippians, uh, Philippians 1 and verse 27. He says, they say, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, am ab or I am absent, I may hear your, of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, He's big on one. You'll notice there'll be several places that we're going to touch on one. Not many. Not many. He narrows it down for us. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith. There's that the faith again. It's not just faith. Because Christ said my faith, and there's a difference. And that's why, that's why you see this in, in 
the faith of the gospel. Paul, Paul has some powerful, uplifting words for us. Uh, and we know it takes something special for the kind of commitment and steadfastness that we see out of uh, the family, the body of Christ here today. We're not all from the same area, the same place, the same state, but it is the body of Christ. And we're all one. And uh, one day we will have that fulfilled. If we can endure till the end, can overcome the pulls of the world. Back in when Christ referred to his faith as my faith, he didn't, he didn't just say faith, he said my faith. That's so important because his faith probably is not our faith if we don't really examine what he's telling us. Take a little closer look at faith. We speak on faith, we have to mention Hebrews 11. That's for sure. Hebrews 11, as we know, the faith chapter. And in, and in verse 1, we see, if we read that real slow. And, uh, it's kind of interesting to read this with someone uh, that's trying to, maybe someone you know somewhere that's trying to understand faith a little bit. Now, faith is the substance of things, of things hoped for. Of course, the way they'll label that sometimes is, that sounds like wishful thinking to me. And then the evidence of things unseen is just totally out of the question. I've been, to I've been told that, and you probably have too. What do you mean the evidence of things? Uh, if, if you have no evidence, you have nothing to see. So they don't quite get the full meaning of that because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by, by, by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by sight and faith because it's the evidence of things unseen. You can't, you can't see what God has spiritually within us. You can't see that. Hebrews 8 and verse 10, we see how the Lord enables us. And what seems impossible to us? In verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And he says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Not things seen. He's not giving us a tablet anymore. They're in our hearts and they're in our minds. Not physically. Not something you can touch. They're only felt within us. They're only felt within us through the Spirit that God gives us. That's why that first little verse in chapter 11 is so hard for some to understand. They have to have that before they're going to understand this. You can't put the one before the other. Like the evidence of, <laughs> I said, of things unseen. Uh, the things hidden to many that you see. Christ and God's Spirit has a way of opening our minds to those things. That's why that scripture seems, that seems to me why it's so foreign to some. You have a hard time grasping it. What does that mean? God's Spirit helps us understand that. And in Luke 18, 27, brings it to light a little more in Christ's words, Christ tells us. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That's all we have to know. 
We know we're limited. God's not. No limitations on God. Many in the world, many in the world today say they have faith. But sometimes if you really question them about it, it's not sure what kind of faith it is or faith in what or how deep it is. But Hebrews 11, we can go a little further with Hebrews 11 because it will, it will help us to understand the faith that God's talking about and what it does for us here. It makes things hope for as real as if we were already if we already had them. And it provides unshakable evidence that the unseen spiritual blessings of God's word are absolutely certain and true. And it brings the future within the present and makes the invisible seen. God is the only one that can do that for us through his spirit. The faith that we speak of, that Paul speaks of, really makes no difference what we say. It's what does God's word say? That's the important thing. The faith speaks of our confidence and trustworthiness of God, conviction that what God says is true and what he promises will come to pass. And we do believe that because we know what God promises will happen and it will come to pass. The faith must, faith must, have, must have something, some revelation from God some promises of God as its foundation. Not just a leap in the darkness or the way a lot should be put, blind faith. And we think we all have seen a lot of blind faith out in, out in the world today. You know, it, it, it demands the surest evidence in the universe of where it comes from. And there's only one place we find that, and that's in God's Word. God is the only one that has all those words. Blind faith, I, I had an uh, uh, experience, uh, it, it was a good experience, uh, something you may have all, all had. Speaking with a friend, I'll, I'll try to condense this because it could, it, could it could get big, but I'm going to try to condense this to make it short, but it, it's a very good point. When I mentioned blind faith, I had a, uh, I have a very good friend, a man, 50s, 55, a lady friend, it was over at the house one day and we were visiting. And we're having a good conversation. She's a she's a, a very uh, saint, talked to be a very very Baptist lady, you know. And uh, I know exactly where she's at in her religion because I was a Methodist and Sherry and I were Methodist and went to Baptist two years ago. And so we started having a discussion. And Brian, my my friend, he he knows that I'm a Sabbath keeper and I observe God's holy days. And he doesn't understand them, but he's okay with it, you know. So. He brought something up about the Sabbath, and we started talking, and we went over lots of things. That's what I say. I have to condense this. Uh, I probably went over too much, as we're maybe all guilty of sometimes. Maybe a little too much, but uh, scriptures out for her, and I mean, she was sitting on the edge of the couch, and I was even, I was getting excited, you know. This lady is understanding here. So, it's doing good, so. She wanted to make some coffee, so she went in the kitchen. I could, we, we can see it was just right there, and Bryant and I were talking, and she made the coffee. And she was headed back, and I was ready for something, something else. You know, what what next next question is she going to ask? I may have to look it up. I may not know the answer, but I got my Bible right here in this little phone. You know, the sword's with you all the time. You know, so anyway, she heads back, and she was just she was just about to say something, and she said, 
And you know, that was a whole lot we talked about, quite a bit. And she said, it was like she had, because I noticed she had this look on her face in the kitchen, like she was kind of dealing with something. And she come back and she stopped and she said, wow, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that because I'm saved by faith. I said, I understand. I said, okay, <laughs> you win. You're saved by faith. I would have to call that blind faith, but faith. Faith nevertheless, and uh, that's kind of the way it is with faith with some folks. It's just faith. Just believe. That's pretty much as far as it has to go. And I was just going to say that to prove a point. All this information, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I don't have to do that. So, but as you know, as, as we're told, be at their level as you speak with them. They tend to understand and accept things a lot better. Maybe she'll come back later with questions. I hope so. I hope so. But blind faith is what we were discussing there, and that was an experience I had. But in Ephesians 4 and verse 5, we see something that nails it down a little closer. Paul tells us there. He speaks of more than just these two. But the two I wanted to focus on right now was the Lord. He says, there is one Lord and one faith. As if you go on down the road, is one baptism and there's one spirit. If you finish all that verse out. He was nailing down some, some things for us that we don't have to look everywhere. God has the one for us. And, and he can give it to us. And he has given it to us. And that's the one that we talked about in Revelation 2.13 where he says you did not deny my faith. My faith. Not a faith. So we see of Christ speaking of my faith. We see Paul speaking of one faith. And then that gives us a path for us to follow as the faith. The faith that we need to follow. The faith that God has opened our minds to to see what that Hebrews 11 one means and means to us. Paul's writings really get it and make it much more personal to us than just the word faith. He, he lifts it up way more than one notch. He takes it way up high with faith. In Colossians 2, in verse 6, we, we find Paul again. And he's encouraging the brethren at Colossians. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him, you see that more than once, walk with him. That standing still with Christ just doesn't work a whole lot. We have to walk with him. Rooted and built up in him and established in him, the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up in him, in the faith. That holds us really close to the trunk of the tree. You don't want to be out on the end of the limbs. Very easy to get blown off there. Easy to lose your, your footing. I want to cover a few more scriptures here on with with uh, with Paul. Uh, of course, we we know faith is one of the keys. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we have have a little deeper meaning. Of faith is one of our keys that we can rely on. In First Timothy, one and verse two, Paul says, "The true son." And he was really really pointed talking to him here. He says, "The true son in the faith." grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 
And in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, he speaks of something that we never want to see, but, but we know that it happens. He speaks of a falling away, and a falling away from what? In verse 4, verse, chapter 4 and verse 1 of 1 Timothy, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, not just their faith, but the faith, the one that he has put there for us, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, what do we see when that happens? Do we, do we look at it as, well, someone's left the congregation. They've left the congregation. That's how the world has condensed itself out there as we talked about the Future Shock book of Topher. We don't, we don't look at it like that because this is the body of Christ as a church family. That's why we can go down the road to another feast site and walk in the door and they're not strangers to us because they have that same spiritual mind that we do. We have lots to talk about and you're concerned about their future. It's not like walking into Walmart Somebody walks into Walmart, walks around, they know, maybe they know no one. Are they concerned about the folks? Probably not. They just, in their own little world, going around, not like that. God's church that he's built. It's a family. It's a family. So we look at it as a lost part of the body of Christ when someone falls away from the church. And of course, we, we pray they come back. We pray they come back. In Titus 1, we find Paul speaking again. Oh, I just love Paul's. I have to go to Paul a lot. I love his writings. He has many things to say. We find Paul, Paul speaking to God's few committed. The few committed to the truth that he's given us. There's another key that we have to uh, grasp onto, of course, is, is the truth. In Titus 1 and verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, the committed ones. He's speaking to committed ones. When this, We do definitely see another key here to our commitment. We have a couple of more keys to go through to build to see why your commitment is as strong as it is. Because God has given you something special that you understand, and it's through His Word. <clears throat> and then down in verse 13, Titus, Paul, we find Titus, and he's, he's instructing the elders here. And he wants, them, he wants to bring to light what's been going on, the sinful ways of the Cretans here. And, and in verse 13, Titus 1, 13, he says, this testimony is true. It was true. They, they, they were having serious problems. Therefore, rebuke them that they may be sound in the faith. The faith. And 14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Two very important things. The faith, the truth. And there's only one of each. So we have to be careful about where we label our faith at. And we have no problem doing that because God helps us with that. He's saying, don't, don't leave your first love, which is the truth. And in Jude, verse 1, 
He's addressing the ones who are who's accepted, the ones he was speaking to back here, accepted the invitation that he's given out. This Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, may peace and love be multiplied to you. And in verse 3, Beloved, while I was while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, exhorting you, and and to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Because they were being warned because someone people were coming in to the congregation that was ungodly men and they, they, wanted, they wanted them to know that. And we see, I think we see a much deeper meaning of faith here. Uh, you know, what Christ spoke of, what Paul spoke of. And it's a special kind and a special level that it takes us to of faith and truth and in, it really arises within us and lives within us. And it gives us another key, another key, which is the understanding of God that he gives us. And I'm going to finish here with just a couple of things. Uh, in Romans 10, verse 17, Paul tells us that our faith, which is the faith, of course, and of, uh, of Christ's faith, comes from hearing, and our hearing comes from the Word of God, which comes together perfectly with the understanding that we see in 1 John 5.20. And in 5.20 of 1 John, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true and His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God of eternal life. Wow. We have one more key. I'm just going to touch on one more key that's probably the most important we have. John 14, verse 15, starting 15. I'd like to read 15, 16, and 17. <clears throat> Christ says that he's talking with Philip. He, he says this to, to all of his ones that are committed to him. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that you may abide with you. He may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And we only get that one place the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But he who knows Him, for he who knows Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So I think, I hope we see the keys. I just wanted to, I wanted to point out a few keys and maybe elevate them a little bit to why the ones here today are so, so committed and where the amazing strength comes from, the unseen strength that we spoke of in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the unseen strength of steadfastness, commitment, salvational faith that we attain by the knowledge of the truth through the understanding the Son of God has given us through, number four, God's Holy Spirit. That's what we need to be worthy at His return, to stay committed, as we pray, we all will, and we all have to work on our, our lives for that, that we may be faithful, we enter the kingdom with him when he returns, with Christ, his ruling king over all things.